0: Zechariah chapter 14, I, there, there is, I don't think there is any chapter that I am more excited about than this one throughout the entirety of the Minor Prophets in our study. There's been a lot of good things through the course of our study. It's taken us quite some time to get to this point, uh, but this chapter has in it some of the greatest details of what is coming. Uh, what is coming in the very near future, as far as what we can see uh, is happening you know our world is I think we all would agree our world 's in uh, quite a disarray right now wouldn 't you say okay, all right um, some of you may not be paying attention, but uh you know our world 's in a mess <laughs> all right and then and then think too about a lot of the events that have recently transpired over in the middle east and Europe and other parts of the world, uh, these things are pointing to one great event, and that is the coming of Jesus. And we're very excited about that. I, I think we as Christians should be excited about that. Uh, you know, I was actually today, earlier, I was thinking about that. I wonder what it's going to be like. I don't know. I just don't know. Now, I know what the Bible says about numerous things and, and certain spectacular events, you know, when Jesus comes back. I know what the Bible says about the tribulation period, the great tribulation and those things. But, but then I get to thinking sometimes, what is it actually going to be like for us? You know, where, where, are, where, where do we fit into the scheme of, of, of things in, uh, in, in light of what the Bible says? We, we're, we're limited as to what we know, but what we do know is what God has told us. Okay, so that part we can be excited about, but there are some. It's the unknown. Okay, that's what's fascinating to many of us are the things that are unknown, and there's a lot of things about those details in the future, the coming near future that that are just unknown to us. It's kind of fascinating, and it it it, it makes me wonder. I know it's a personal thing, but I don't know. Maybe you've ever, maybe you've wondered about that. Wonder what it's going to be like when when there is no more sin. You know, that, that, I mean, think about that for a moment. You know, when that, when that's done, when that is all over, the, when Satan is put away and there's no more, there's no more of the temptations that he would bring. In, what is that going to be like? You know, We live day by day right now, and those temptations come at a regular basis. But one day that's going to end. Praise God for that, right? That's an exciting thing. Well, I didn't mean to go off on that little rabbit trail. We bring that... Uh, let that dog bring him back in all right uh, so let's let's look here what this is what we want to look at chapter 12 13 and 14 are giving to us the close of Israel's history as we know it so this is the end this is it this is the end and so we get to 14 chapter 14 uh, there are some things some very uh, 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 dramatic things that ta- are taking place and Zechariah he is uh, telling us about some changes that are going to take place and all of that and uh, we have these final days that are right before us uh, in, in fact like what we looked at last time last week was the final battle for Jerusalem this is it this is the last one there have been many and I gave you a list There were 19 throughout the course of Israel's existence, not just as a state since 48. I'm talking about, let's go on back even into the Old Testament. And what we learn is there were 19 different times that Israel has been attacked by some outside uh, uh, country, some surrounding nation or others that, that wanted to come in and take that little country, take that city. Uh, and some of them were successful in taking the city and ravaging the city and ruining the city and, and burning the temple and burning the walls of the, of, of the city down and ravishing the women and all of that stuff. All the, many of them were successful. But there's coming a day, there's going to be one more. There's, one, there's going to be one more. Now, there may be other attempts, but here our Bible tells us that there's one more, and this is what I find interesting in the text, is that it is the Lord who's bringing everybody in this time. All right. Now others have tried, their attempts to come in, they had their own agenda. They wanted to come in and they wanted to take Jerusalem because they wanted to siege it and, and, and they wanted to build their own empire around that part of the world. You now it's beyond, it's beyond recognition sometimes, or beyond belief as to their reasoning behind it, knowing that all of the others have failed, you know. But we find that God brings them in for one final battle. And it's the last, it's obviously the last one. So here's what we're going to do tonight. Um, we're going to read uh, down through, let's read the first 11 verses uh, this evening. You'll see some of the things that I've just talked about in verse 1, 2, and 3, uh, but I, I especially like verse number 3. And then, then we'll get some other things, some things that are going to happen from 4 down through 11. We'll see how far we get tonight uh, in this text. All right, let's read. We're beginning of verse number 1. The Bible says, Behold... The day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. I love this verse. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Now, watch what happens. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. There shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Mm. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, Ye shall flee like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. and The Lord my God shall come, watch this, and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and winter shall it be. Watch this verse. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord, and His name one. And all the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. And it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate unto the corner gate and from the tower of Hanel unto the king's wine presses and men shall dwell in it there shall be no more utter destruction but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited wow what an exciting time this is so what we're going to talk about tonight. Last, last time, last week, we talked about that final battle for Jerusalem. There was a great invasion, or there will be a great invasion, that's coming into the city of Jerusalem and the, the country and the nation of Israel. God is the one who's going to bring them in. He's gathering all those nations. And we talked about those at, as He is gathering those nations. And we can see little spurts of it now or a little preludes to it now with Russia doing her thing against Ukraine. With, uh, uh, with China and Russia joining some, uh, you know, having some mediation between the two of them. Other nations are going to be involved with it as well. We'll see them, Syria, Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, all of those uh, from that north and, to, and, and the east uh, and, and we'll see them. Then we'll, we'll have those from the West, the Western and the European Union area. Those will come in as well. And then from the South, all those from, from Africa, from Egypt. There has been a despising of the nation of Israel all throughout the course of time, all throughout her history of existence. But all of these nations are going to be coming together and gathering together, and God's going to bring them there, that final battle. But, but there again, they're going to lose. Because the Messiah, He's going to interrupt their battle, their their idea of coming in and taking over, their invasion. He's going to interrupt that by His own coming. And His own coming is where we're at tonight. Okay, This is where we're looking at tonight as we start with verse number 4. He said in verse 3, look at it again, "...then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations... As when he fought in the day of battle, the Lord's coming. He's brought them and gathered them together, but the Lord is going to fight. Now what is he going to do? How is this going to happen? How is it going to transpire? I find it amazing how Zechariah has such insight. We shouldn't be amazed at that. Because the Lord does that so often with writers, and especially the prophets. And as he gave to Zechariah this insight, and he pinned it down, he said, this is what's going to happen. So here's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at the victory and the reign of the Messiah. All right. So we're looking at the victory and the reign of Messiah from these verses, verse 4 down through verse number 11. And there's going to be some changes, some things. The, the, the actual earth is going to be changing. There, things are going to be happening. We've read it here. And so I want to point these things out to you tonight, all right? So let's, uh, you know, Satan has attempted to rule the world ever since he uh, come into the, onto the scene uh, against God and, and uh, caused and created the fall of man in Genesis 3. He's attempted to rule the world and mankind. And he wants mankind to fail. He wants God to fail. We know that he, he has lost his mind, all right? He is not, God's not going to fail. Jesus will not fail. He will always rule. He will be in charge of everything that goes on. He's allowed him to have these years uh, of his existence and temptation against man. And he's tried to bring in the Antichrist. Remember when, when Satan came to the wilderness and tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He said, hey, look, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. You remember that? Hey, I know you're hungry. Turn these these rocks into bread. Oh, Jesus' answer was perfect. He used the word, of course, and he thwarted the temptation that Satan brought his way. Satan's always tried to do that. He's always tried to scheme and and wanted people to uh, uh, worship him. He's going to bring the Antichrist on the scene. Satan is. And the people are going to fall into the trap of worshiping the Antichrist. But He's going to lose once again. The time of peace that the Antichrist will bring is going to be short-lived, of course. And uh, the uh, as this battle unfolds, this battle begins to unfold before our very eyes, and the ending of that the, uh, the the battle, the ending of the time, as Israel's history would know it, because of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus, it's going to usher in a completely different uh, idea, completely different scene in that part of the world for Israel, and you know, based, and for us too. You know things are going to be different one of these days. I don't know how different. That's what's got me uh, my mind a little bit wrapped up into this, not knowing all those details. I, again, I know, I, I see what the scripture says. I can read what God's given to us in His Word, but there's some things I just I don't know about. So I'm intrigued by that. I want to know, but God hasn't revealed those things to him. I'm not like Zechariah. Okay, I'm not a prophet like Zechariah. I have this, okay, I have the book, i got the Word of God, and, and so I can look in here and see what He has for me. But I still, in my mind, I was like, man, I wonder how that's going to be. Well, let's, let's, let's look at a couple of things here. First of all, I want you to see this. In verse number 4 and 5, there's the division of the Mount of Olives. What do you mean the division of the Mount of Olives? Let's look at verse 4 and let's notice what he says here. Very carefully, he says, and the feet shall stand, and his feet rather, shall stand in, the, in the, that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley. And the half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and the half toward the south. What an amazing event. Now, some people like to spiritualize this, they don't think this is literal. They don't think that when Jesus puts His foot down on the top of Mount Olives, that the Mount of Olives is going to split in two to the north and to the south. They don't believe that, or to the east and west, rather. They don't believe that that's going to happen. Let me just remind everybody of a couple of other things, events, that we read about in Scripture. They don't believe this either, but I personally believe that they happen. You remember when when Jesus stopped the running waters of the Jordan River? God stopped that, okay? Remember when the children of Israel... The high priests put their feet in the water, and the water stopped. Okay, the Jordan rivers are pretty—you know—a a, a good large portion of water from one side to the other. Not as big as the Mississippi, but it's a good size. But, but he stopped it. They stopped water, stopped. Flowing. Remember when he parted the waters of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel walked across on dry, dry ground? Right. Remember when God opened up the earth, and Korah and his family and all associated with him swallowed them up, and we haven't seen them since. You remember those events? Okay, the Bible talks about those. I mean, we could go on and on and on about some other great events, and, and some of them say, well, that's just a natural phenomenon, or, or, or that's something that uh, you know, we, we, we can't quite put our finger on what happened. It's something scientific, you know, or whatever. I don't know. The, the, the reasoning that they have is, is invalid. We know that because God said that there were certain things that He did, and we believe that He did, all right? Amen? All right. And here he says it's it's very interesting that the very place, the very place where Jesus ascended into heaven, we read about that in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 11. When when the angel said, This same Jesus, as you've seen him go into the heavens, is going to come back in like manner. All right? The very same spot that he left, the last place his feet touched the earth was the top of Mount Olives, and that'll be the first place they come back to whenever he comes back. Amen. Amen. And and that's going to happen. The 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 same feet that was was pierced with nails and scarred to to secure Uh, our forgiveness on the cross of Calvary. Those same feet that left and went to heaven and went to his father is going to come back and put his feet right there. Now, I've been to the top of Mount Olives. uh, Several years ago, we were there. We started a, a tour of Jerusalem from the top of Mount Olives. And it's on the eastern side. I mean, just like Scripture says here, it is on the eastern side. You can look down and you can see the city of Jerusalem. You can see that eastern gate. Oh, right below it is the is the Garden of Gethsemane, right in between the Garden of Gethsemane and and Jerusalem. The wall is called the the Kidron Valley. It's a little stream of water that comes down through there. So it's a mountain. It's it's 443 feet above the Garden of Gethsemane. It's 227 feet above the, the, the Temple Mount. That's where the Mount of Olives is. It's that high up and you can see down and look over all of that. But that mountain one day is going to come and when Jesus puts his feet on it, the Bible tells us here that when he sets his feet down on top of that mountain, that the mountain is going to split in two. It's going to create another valley. What is the purpose behind all this? The purpose behind all this, I will say that the center... The center, uh, uh, Mount of Olives is the center line or center point of a mile-long mountain area right in that part of the world, that part of, uh, of Israel as well. So, what what is the purpose uh, of this? To divide and create this valley that he's talking about here. It is going to create a valley, a way of escape for those who are still in the city of Jerusalem. They're going to be able to go out of it and they were going to be able to escape. Now, watch what he says here. I think the Bible is very clear. Again, in verse number four, where he says, His feet shall stand there, it's before Jerusalem on the east and west of, of the Mount of Olives. Uh, there should be a great valley. Half the mountain shall remove to the north, half of it toward the south. So that division is going to happen there. And here's why. Look at verse number 5. tells us why. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal. Uh, uh, yea, uh, ye shall flee like as ye fled from the, before the earthquake of the days of Uzziah king of Judah. That, that actually took place. You know what? Amos chapter 1 and verse number 1 talks about that earthquake as well. This actually, Zechariah is talking about it 200 years after the fact. All right? So, historically, that earthquake did occur. And it's so much so that it was, everybody remembers that great earthquake in that day. So, So, what's the purpose of the valley? Watch what he says here. Look at this now. When ye the, when the, shall flee to the valley, the people, the city, of those are left and remaining on the earth during that time. The armies are gathered. The people are in Jerusalem. The Lord's coming back. The, the, the mountain is going to fall to the, the north and to the south. It's going to create this valley. The, the children of Israel, the Jewish people that are in the city that remain here are going to be able to flee from that part of uh, Jerusalem through that valley. But listen, look, this is what is so interesting. The Lord my God, the last part of verse 5, the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. What's happening here? The earthquake that is mentioned here, everything that is taking place on this particular occasion is when God is going to set up his throne, his kingdom, his reign, his rule on the earth at that time. Okay? So all of this is happening. It's a it's a it's an act. It's all gonna happen very quickly, all right? When Jesus comes back, his feet's gonna set on the mountain, the mountain's gonna split, the valley is there, the children of Israel, the Jewish people, can leave and and vacate that. Area and escape uh, into the plain. Now, all the saints are coming back with him, all simultaneous. All of this is going to happen as he concludes the battle with the nations that he's gathered together. All of this is going to happen. It is an amazing, amazing event that he talks about. What is most interesting to me is the last part of verse number five, where he says, On all the saints, all the saints with thee. What is he talking about here? He's talking about people like me and you. Okay? If we have, if we have died in the Lord, we've gone to heaven, he's going to come back. Then, then we get to come back with him there. If, if we understand the scriptures, everything the scripture says correctly, That when Jesus comes back and he raptures and takes the church out, he's going to come back and we're coming with him. He's saying we're coming with him here. Where's our proof text for these things? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14, I'm 3 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse number 14. All of these make reference to the fact that Jesus is coming back and he's bringing saints with him. Paul says he's bringing us with him in those portions of scripture. Zechariah says he's bringing the saints with him. So, we're, guess, listen, listen. This is one of those things that we don't really think about, but we get to witness this event as we come with him. And he concludes this battle, interrupts the invasion of Jerusalem. The Lord setting his feet up because we're with him. We're going to see that mountain. Split, all right? We're going to see that valley created. We're going to see all of these things as it happens. And the Lord is going to bring us with him so that we can see all of this. And what, what is the purpose behind this? Revelation chapter 19 talks about Jesus coming back in his glory in all of His glory, to defeat the armies of the earth, to defeat the enemy at last. Jesus is going to be here to do all of that. He comes back with power, as it's obvious, and with glory, it's also obvious in the text of Scripture here. So there's the division of the Mount of Olives. I think it's all quite interesting. We talk about it. We've, we've, we've uh, talked about it in times past. We've heard about it in times past. Here is where the Bible speaks of that his feet touching the mountain and the mountain splitting and so on. We come back with him, all right? Now let's look at this. Something else happens in the course of these events. So God brings them together. To the battle, the final battle. God defeats them. He's going to be victorious. He sets His feet on top of Mount Olives. It splits. The valley's there. The people who are inhabiting the city, they will escape through that valley that's created. We're with Him. We get to see all of this happening. But He does something very unusual next. Watch this now. In verse 6, 7, and 8, there's a difference in the character of nature here. So there's a difference. Things happen. Watch what he says now. It shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. Huh. What does he mean by that? Verse 7. This helps us a little bit. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night. But it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. That's unusual. How many would agree with me that that's an unusual event? Okay, all right. So it's unusual in that there's coming a particular day that it's not gonna be day or night. It's the the sun, the sun and the moon and all those things that illumine the earth, it's gonna be different. How different? Well, it's gonna be, it's not gonna be clear, but it's going to be such a way that it's not day and it's not night. Now, I don't know, scientifically, I don't know how that will happen. I do know what Zechariah says. How do you believe what Zechariah says? you believe what Zechariah says? Okay, I believe what Zechariah says. It's not going to be day. It's not going to be night. God's going to do something in this particular part. It it is one of those inexplicable things that happens in Scripture. What we do, however, just as the Mount of Olives will split when Jesus puts his feet on top of that, as as that will be hard to explain, all right? Uh, And just as the Red Sea is hard to explain scientifically, we know it's God, okay, right? We all understand and know that God has done, he's powerful, he created the earth, he can do whatever he wants to with it, all right? He created the sun, the moon, the star, he created the light, he created all those things, he can do whatever he wants to with those things. He's God, Right? So him being God and can do all of these things, I'm not really concerned or worried about it. It's just intriguing. How is it going to be not day nor night, not clear, but it's going to be one day that the Lord's going to do all this? Interesting. I think He's changing. He's making a difference here in the character of nature, the character of things. But there's something else that happens. Watch this now. Watch this now. He's going to, as he changes the the illumination of the earth. It's kind of a unique and extraordinary thing. A one-day, one-of-a-kind event, okay? The light will be absent. The dark will be absent. But watch what he says here in verse number 8. Here's another great wonder. It shall be in that day that living water shall go out from Jerusalem. Now listen, I've been to Jerusalem. The closest source of water is in the Kidron Valley. That's it. Jerusalem is high. The elevation of it is high. In, In fact, you can go east or west, and as soon as you start going east or west, you're going down. Okay? So here's what's happening. There's going to be, because of all the events that happen, God's changing the character of nature in that part of the world. With the mountain now being divided... It's almost like the Kidron Valley ceases to exist because of everything, because of the the, the nature of what is happening with the the Mount of Olives. There's going to be a way for them to to, to get out, okay, The, the, the Jewish people. So all of these things are changing. So here's what's happening. He says they're going to be a source of living water. The source of that water is Jerusalem, the highest point, that region of the world. The water is going to go from Jerusalem that way to the Mediterranean Sea. All right. And to the Dead Sea. Now I've been to both places. And from Jerusalem going both those directions, you go down. Actually, I remember driving from Jerusalem down to the Dead Sea. I didn't even have a touch of gas. The accelerator. I had a touch the brakes. We didn't have to touch the accelerator. We we're going down. All right. So here, the 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 rivers, the, the, this living water, this it, it's going to proceed from Jerusalem, being that highest point. The waters are going to be going in both directions. There. What what is happening? What is God doing all of this for? What's this now? Look at this. He says in verse eight. It should be in that day the living waters should go forth from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. That's simply meaning that the waters are going to go toward the Mediterranean, going toward the Dead Sea. But watch this. Look at this. In summer and in winter shall it be. In other words, Jerusalem right now is one of the most arid places in existence on the earth. All right? That means that a lot of times it, it looks like a desert. Water has to come in. They have to do a lot of irrigation and so on. And it looks desert, uh, uh, a desert look, plateau kind of area. So a lot of sand, and you know, I mean, it does get cold there. But but anyway, he's saying here that things are changing. The course of uh, and the character of nature is changing to the degree that now there's going to be water from Jerusalem both directions for the vegetation, for the prosperity uh, that is coming in the in the future. Uh, they will have uh, those waters there in that land. And here's what's happening. All right, it is going to refresh the land. The, the supply is not going to end. It's going to be there in summer and in winter. Sometimes in the summer months the water would dry up because it was, it was so hot and humid and arid and so on. So there would not be a, the fresh water source. But now he's saying there's going to be water, living water there going from Jerusalem both directions and it's never going to end. And let me ask you a question. Do y'all remember reading somewhere in the Bible where there's going to be a river flowing that will not end its supply from the throne of God? Interesting. Now, I'm not saying this is that river. I'm just saying there is a very similar situation here. A never-ending source... What does water do? Water symbolically speaks to us of purification, of a spiritual life, of of refreshment. That's what water in the Bible speaks of and tells us here. So here's what's going on. As those waters leave Jerusalem and go to the Mediterranean, go to the Dead Sea, there is a refreshing, there is a new purification or purification that process. There is a greater new spiritual life that takes place. Why is all of that happening? Why is that significant? Remember what just happened. What have we been talking about at 12, 13 and beginning of 14? When God calls in and gathers all those nations and he's going to destroy them, defeat them, even though they're coming to invade Jerusalem, God is going to take care of them and there's going to be a spiritual renewal. A refreshing time in the nation, in the land, in the land of Israel. Some things are going to be different. So he's changing the character of nature in that part of the world as well. So the Lord here is not just, he's not just saying words. He's actually going to be doing some of these, doing these things for his glory, all right, for His glory, for our benefit. He's doing it with His power. He is, he is obviously making some plans for something spectacular. Here's what it is now. Watch this. Watch this now. Verse 9. Here it is. The day of His reign. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and His name one. What's happening here is simply this. When the Lord gathers those nations together, when He comes back to set His feet upon the top of Mount Olives, when He changes the character of nature with the waters and with the, the, the valley and, and all of those things, He is setting up for one thing. And that is the day, number three, the day of His reign. The day of His reign is being set up. Do you understand what's happening here? The day of His reign. What do you mean by His reign? He is going to rule and reign. How long? Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And guess who's going to get to see it? Yeah, according to that, we're going to get to see it. He's bringing the saints with Him. All right? And we're going to get to see all of this thing, all of these things transpire, all right? So uh, that's going to be a wonderful glorious day. He it, the 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 culmination of all of these things are happening is in verse 9. The Lord shall be king over all. Listen, listen, Jesus is the son of David, right? And Jesus being the son of David, he, he promised that he would sit on the throne of his father David. This is it. This is when it is going to happen. He is going to be on that throne. He will be recognized and worshipped throughout the entire universe. He's changing the landscape of everything. He's changing the course of uh, all future events right here before our very eyes. Zachariah was privy to this information. And and he wrote it down and he's given it to us. And now we're here tonight studying it in 2023. I was 2024. We're here tonight studying this. As God revealed it to him, here we are several thousand years later looking at seeing what God is going to do. I just find it amazing. I find it fascinating. His throne is going to be set up. He will be king over all and there shall be one Lord and one name. One Lord and one name. You remember me saying just a moment ago that Satan has tried. He has attempted to try and tried to get people to worship him. He's successful in many ways. But he is going to fail. He's going to lose. And as he loses and as he fails, here the Bible confirms the fact that the Lord will set up and he will reign over all the earth at that time. Amen for that. One more, thing, one more thing. I'm just going to mention this, but I'm not going to deal with it tonight. Verse 10 and 11 talk about the destruction ending. Now, this is important. Why? Look at verse 10 and 11. Let me just, just read. The land should be turned as a plain from Agiba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem. And it should be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's Gate, under the place of the first gate, under the corner gate, from the tower of Hanel, unto the king's wine presses. What? What is... What is that all about? All right, watch this now. Watch this now. Don't miss this. He is giving, Zechariah is giving us a uh, geographical location. A geographical location. He's pinpointing several, the plains of Geba, the plains of Rimnon, the gate of Benjamin, all of those things. He's pinpointing an area, a geographical location where something is going to take place. All right? From this point on, all of this area, there's going to be a plain. Now, why would the waters be going from Jerusalem through these areas to the east and to the west? Why would the mountain disappear? Why would all of these things happen? Why Why does the inhabitants need to escape? Why does all of these things happen? Because he is setting up his reign on the earth. It's a time for him to reign. He is going to end the destruction. This geographical location of this area... Is all going to be under, under the uh, uh, the the spot or in the spot of where the throne and the, the uh, and will be set and the place where Jesus will be worshipped from a universal standpoint? People across the globe will see and reign, or see him reign and rule from that part of the world. Verse number eleven. Let me show you this. I can do this fast. Watch this now. And men shall dwell in it. What? That location, the geographical location that he just described in verse 10. And there shall be no more utter destruction. He ends it all. The last chance, the last time that anybody ever attempted to go into Jerusalem and siege Jerusalem has ended. No more destruction of Jerusalem. Again, it's happened many, many times in the past. But he says this, the last phrase, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Why is that important? It's important because Jesus, the Messiah, will reign and rule from Jerusalem. That spot, that area, all of it's going to change. All of it's going to be set up and Jesus Christ be sitting on the throne of his father David and all of that's going to be set Jerusalem will be inhabited safely. No harm, no destruction, no war. Nothing else is going on in that part of the world ever again. As Zechariah gives us these details of the gates and the areas of the plains, what is he doing? He's assuring us of the exact nature of the Messiah's operation to restore the land to the rightful owners and also to set up his throne and place of worship. The city will be rebuilt. It'll be repopulated, and uh, every, it will be a, a place to live peaceably from now on or from then on. Safely, without any kind of interruption, without any kind of threat of harm. Because, because Satan is a loser. He's a loser. Bible proof. He's a loser. And guess what? We're winners. Amen. We're winners. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for our time in your word this evening. I pray, Lord, that you would use um, this section of, of your word to uh, in, enlighten us and help us in, in our life, in our Christian life, in our growth. And, Lord, while there are many things that are still unknown, yet there are details that you give to us that are helpful Uh, that encourage us for the days to come, and just to be, honestly, be prepared uh, for what is to come. We thank you for your kindness and your care for us. Pray that you bless uh, the people, and thank you for each one's attention tonight. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.